Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to begin reading at verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Am lifted up his eyes And saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. I love that. I and the lad will go. We're going to go a little further. And we're going to worship. And we're going to come back to you. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning for a little while, um, and I I pray the Lord will bless you and open your understanding. I want God to move in this, but I know it's a holiday weekend, but I feel the presence of the Lord here in such a great way. I, I want to preach on this thought, what worship requires, what worship requires. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, we thank you for the moving of your spirit, for your presence in this place. I pray, Lord, now that you would touch these lips of clay to speak as the oracle of heaven. I pray that you would open our understanding in our hearts. I pray that you would speak to us with great clarity. Lord, I pray that you would anoint every ear to hear, every mind to understand, every heart to receive, and every spirit to bear witness of your word. We thank you for what you have already done, but Lord, we thank you for what you are going to do in this house today, for deliverance that's going to come, for salvation that's going to come for healing and breakthroughs and renewals that's going to happen in this house today in Jesus name and everybody said amen let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise together hallelujah oh we bless your holy name Jesus hallelujah amen 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 before you're seated high five somebody and tell them my worship is for real Amen. You can be seated. Tell somebody else, my worship is for real. Amen. I I am totally convinced that at some time in our lives, God is going to test our loyalty to him by asking us to give up everything we love and we think that we cannot live without. Let me say that again. There's going to be times in our life that God's going to test our loyalty to him by asking us to give up or walk away from certain things to see 
how committed we are to him and ask us to live without things that we didn't think we could live without. How many has ever found that to be true? You thought there were some things you couldn't live without and then God allowed them to be removed out of your life or you put them up on the altar and you found out, actually, I can live without it. And actually, my life is a whole lot less complicated not having that in my life. How many has realized that there are relationships God will ask you to give up? Amen. And at the time, you don't understand why. And you can't comprehend why this relationship, why this person. Let me just pause and say this. I feel like I always have to clarify this. I'm not talking about your spouse. I said something like this one time and somebody left here saying, uh, Pastor told me I need to divorce my husband. And that's not what I said. <laughs> if you're married, you're married. But there are relationships God's going God's to ask of you to give him. There are things that God's going to ask you to give up. Why? Because he wants to see, are you willing to give me the priority in your life? And then to realize, amen, looking back in hindsight, my life is a whole lot better not having had that relationship anymore. My life is a whole lot less complicated not having that relationship anymore more and putting God first in my life. Amen. I want to tell you something. You, you need to realize there are some relationships, in, and I know this isn't popular in 2023, but there are some relationships that are toxic. And there's some relationships that are not healthy for a believer to have. Amen. Amen. I still believe that we ought not be unequally yoked together. That's what the Bible says. Now, I heard that my whole life, and, and it's true. Uh, they'd say, well, that's talking about marriage, and, and it is. It's talking about if you're going to be married, uh, you're looking for a spouse, you need to find somebody that's saved and in the church. You're looking for a husband, you need to find one that's in the church, and, and not one that just attends church, but one that's in love with Jesus first. You need to find a husband that will love you, amen, like he loves Jesus. You need to find a wife that will love you like they love. They will put God first. Amen. So committed, so solid that says, you know, you, you can do what you want to do, but I'm going to keep on serving God. Amen. Uh, this, this, uh, Wednesday we'll celebrate 20 years of marriage. Amen. And, and, but I'm going to tell you, uh, and it ought to be this way in every marriage. God comes first before anything. And I love my wife, and I know this will never happen, and I hope she would feel this way about me. But if ever came down to her or God, I'm going for God. Because God's got to become number one. Amen. If you start a relationship where God's not number one, you have made that relationship upside down. You've got to put God first in every relationship. Amen. But there are some, now, now that I got off and qualified that, look at somebody and say, God, a pastor's not saying divorce your spouse. Some of y'all weren't convinced when I said that, when you said, amen. But there are some relationships in your life that are not healthy in living for God. This ain't in my notes, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to win them. Who's winning who? I'm trying to influence. Who's influencing who? If you'll look back at it with some 
honesty and you'll look back at it with some objectivity. You'll look back and say the times you struggled in living for God the most were the times where you were most connected with them. And it's not a forever separation. Sometimes you just got to separate that relationship until you can get strong enough to be the influencer and not the influenced. Why, but why does God ask this of us? To give up things and relationships. Why does God do this? Because I'll tell you why. Because God is a jealous God. Amen. He's a jealous God. Now, we don't, we don't say that a lot anymore. I remember I used to preach about that all the time. God's a jealous God, and you can't have no idols. Remember all, all the things they said were idols in our life, and they, they told the truth. Amen. You, you, can make, you can make reading books an idol. Amen. You, you can make a relationship an idol. You make a job an idol. You make money an idol. You can make entertainment an idol. You can make a car an idol. Anything that you will put more investment into than you put into your relationship with Jesus Christ and your faithfulness to him can become an idol and God is a jealous God. You can even make church an idol. I know some people that serve church but don't serve God. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I know some people that will serve church but won't serve God. They're in love with the idea of coming to church, but not in love with the Savior of the church. Amen. We got to make sure that our relationship is connected to him and through him. Because God is a jealous God. Somebody say he's a jealous God. He does not want to be an addition to the plans of our life. He does not want to be the addition to what we are planning to do in our life. He wants the priority seat in our lives and in our hearts. He wants to be the center and the circumference of everything that we do and of who that we are. There is nothing more important than our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And there is no more important way to connect that relationship than through our worship. Worship is important. Worship is important. Worshiping the true living God is important. I know this, this may sound very basic this morning, but, but hold on for just a minute while I establish this. Amen. Because you need to fall in love with Jesus. And when you're in love with Jesus, you're going to not only be faithful to him, but you are going to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And we need worship in our relationship with Jesus. Every believer, according to John chapter 4, every believer is called to be a worshiper. Where Jesus is having dialogue in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well, he speaks to her and to us about the reality of worship. And in verse 23, he says to her, those that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. That lets me know that God is seeking after people who will worship him, but not just worship him in any fashion, but worship him in the spirit and in the truth. 
now, now let me give a little context to this story because we just kind of parachuted into that verse. This woman had just been talking about the way her people worship and how they worship on a particular mountain and at a particular time when Jesus let her know that worship was not about being at a particular location or the right place, but rather that worship was about having the right relationship and having the right attitude. It's about having the right spirit and Jesus says to her that the father is seeking such to worship him that have the right attitude that right have the right heart that have the right spirit I thank God for the music and the talent and the beautiful building and the lights and the sound system and all that we have but I'm going to tell you if you really love Jesus you can be in the middle of a desert you can be in the middle of a forest you can be sitting in traffic and all you need is opportunity hallelujah it's about having the right attitude and the right spirit I feel the Holy Ghost here when you're really in love with God when you really love him and you seek after him and he seeks after you you can be in bumper to bumper traffic and have hot tears running down your face as you begin to praise him and begin to worship him from the depth of your soul I've been in public places when the goodness of God has so overwhelmed me that tears ran down my face I know I could have stopped it I could have told my flesh we're not going to do this I could have shut it down but I also know to not grieve the Holy Ghost I have stood in public places and I have worshipped the Lord not in demonstration a man of voice and a movement but in my heart it was so overwhelming that tears ran down my face I have sat on airplanes at 37,000 feet and felt the power of God move through it and not be able to withhold. I'm talking about true worship that flows out of the heart of a believer. We ought not keep our worship for Sunday at 10 and Tuesday at 7, but we ought to live in spirit and in truth. It's good to hear great sermons. And I know you've been blessed. We've been blessed to hear some great preaching and great messages from this pulpit. But he didn't say he was seeking great preachers. He said, I am seeking true worshipers. It's important for us to understand that there is, first of all, a vast difference between praise and worship. And it's, it's valuable to understand three things about praise. Number one, Praise is natural. Praise is natural. See, we, we overcomplicate praise. All you need to praise God is breath. Psalms 150 said, let everything that hath breath praise you the Lord. Scripture plainly and in numerous passages describes the things within nature that demonstrate and actively participate in the praise of the one true God, Psalms 96 and verses 11 through 12. David writes and says, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. 
See, when you ain't praising him, nature is praising him. Because praising him ain't all that difficult. All you need is breath. All of creation is involved in a symphony of praise unto their creator. The blossoming rose is praising God. The glistening dew on the morning grass is praising God. Even the sounds of the birds are praising God. All are in some measure or another praising the nature of the creator. The tune that is found in the early morning hour as the chorus of birds begin to sing and with the chirping of crickets in the evening time they are all praising the creative power and the order of God's creation. They're all singing in the choir of praise to the one true living God. All of humanity is praising God whether they know it or not. Even the atheist that is defiantly shaking his fist in the face of God is praising God. You want to know why? Because because anytime things flow in the order God set them in, it is a praise to him. The very fact the atheist is breathing is a praise to the creative power of God. Somebody say amen. So number one, praise is natural. But number two, praise is mandatory. Praise is mandatory. Jesus was admonished to silence the praise as they were thronging him in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They cried out and told Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing here, shut them up. They're too boisterous. They're too loud. They did this with blind Bartimaeus. Amen. Blind Bartimaeus said, tell me when he's coming close by. I've got something to say. As the crowd got loud, he got louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have I'm gonna, we, we'd kick Bartimaeus out of a Pentecostal church. Yeah, I don't think you caught that. I said, we'd kick him out of our church. And I understand there's an order and a flow to everything, and we need order and we need things to flow. Some people, some people just go crazy and say, well, I'm just trying to reach God. Well, you, it needs to be in the flow and the order of a service. Number one, Paul said, let all things be done decently and in order. But every once in a while, you need to get a hold of Jesus. And blind Bartimaeus lifted up his voice and he screamed out, Jesus, thou son, David, have mercy on me. And the Bible said the louder he cried, the more they told him to shut up. This same thing was happening as Jesus is on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and they're screaming out to him, shut these disciples up, tell these people to shut up, tell them to stop worship you. And the reply of Jesus was this, if these hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. How can a rock praise? It don't have breath. But it exists because God, it caused it to exist through the order of creation. And just by that rock existing, it is a praise to God. Now, I could give you the, the other theological, the deeper transmetaphoric association uh, through theological study says that Gentiles were considered to be rocks by the Jewish people. And when Jesus said, if they hold their peace, talking about the Jewish people, he said, if they don't praise me, the rocks, the Gentiles will cry out. And guess what? The rocks are praising him right now. Amen. I, 
Uh, I, when I was an evangelist, I preached a few revivals in a church in Boise, Idaho. And uh, 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 Pastor, uh, uh, it's been 20 years, to Pastor Masscroft in, in Boise, Idaho, great church there. Uh, actually, it's in Nampa. It's, a, it's an out, outlier city of Boise. And, and in the very front of the church, in front of the pulpit, they had this big old rock. It was a beautiful stone that had been polished on one side. And it had engraved in there these words. It was just real simple. If you don't, if you don't, I will. And it didn't matter how many times I preached in that church, I, had, I looked up at that rock and it said, if you don't, I will. If you don't, I will. I'm going to tell you, I ain't going to let no rock cry out in my place. God's been too good to me to let a stone praise in my place. When Jesus said if they all together hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. What he is saying is uh, that praise is going to be given whether you like it or not. The heavenly host is praising him right now. Nature is praising him right now because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Oh, there's no God like our God. Philippians 2 and 9 through 11, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above all others, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, that is praise. You either praise him now or you praise him later, but eventually Jesus is gonna get his praise out of you. I said, we're either going to praise him now or we're going to praise him later. Because one of these days, every knee's going to buckle. One of these days, every knee's going to bow. Every Stalin, every Hitler, every Mao, every, every murdering dictator of this earth to every atheist, to every drug addict, to every abuser of mankind and of themselves. Every knee one day is going to bow and confess he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. So you've got one or two choices. You can either praise him now by choice or praise him later by force. I choose to praise him now. I choose to praise him. He's Lord. He's Lord of all. He's the King of glory. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. So one, praise is natural. Two, praise is mandatory. And three, understand that praise requires no virtue. The fact that praise is natural and mandatory brings it into a dimension that requires no virtue. Meaning you don't have to be good to praise God. Matter of fact, I, I've seen more sinners praise God than some saints. Amen. Find a nickel on the sidewalk. Pick it up with a 
camel between their fingers and a hip of a flask of whiskey on their hip and pick it up and say, well, thank you, Lord. And save people too good to bend over and pick it up. Amen. Amen. I think he's worthy to be praised at all times. There, there, you, don't, you don't have to be virtuous to praise God. And when somebody is praising God, we ought not look down our nose and say, well, you know, they don't, you know, they don't really serve God. Well, they're praising him, join them. Amen. Amen. These entertainers get up there, and I know they're as lost as a one-winged goose in a hurricane. Don't criticize them for singing an old hymn. Sing with them. They're singing that hymn, but they're heathen evil people. They probably are. But if they're praising the God you serve, you ought to open your mouth and praise God and do it in spirit and in truth. Because after all, we've got a reason to praise God. I said, we've got a reason to praise God. Matter of fact, we got a lot of reasons to praise God. We praise God for our health. We praise God for our wealth. We praise God for wisdom. We praise him because we got a job. We praise him because our bills are paid. We praise God that we have families. We praise God that we got a home. We praise God for material things. We praise God for his healing, for his protection, for his provision. Amen. We got a lot of reasons to praise God. Amen. The old testimonies they used to start out with. Amen. A lot of times they'd start out and say, I just want to thank the Lord that I woke up this morning in my right mind. Now some folks be lying if they said that. They used to stand up and testify and say, I want to praise the Lord. Amen, that I, he woke me up this morning in my right mind and, and, and he gave me breath in my lungs and got a heart that's still beating. I mean, it, it would be the most trivial things and you're sitting there going, how many of these things are they gonna praise for that it's obvious, amen, that, that, that God's done in there. Man, they would go, I just praise the Lord, I blink my eyes. I praise the Lord, I can wiggle my toes. I, can, I praise the Lord that I can sit up. I praise the Lord. And that may not seem like much to you until you can't blink your eyes and until you can't wiggle your toes and until you can't walk. Amen, you, you won't know what it's like, amen, to really give God praise for having good breath in your lungs until you've been on an inhaler on oxygen and felt like you couldn't breathe. Then all of a sudden, breath becomes what? See those trivial things. Sometimes we need to unpack those things and say, thank you, Lord, because I'm in my right mind. Thank you, Lord, that I've got help. I can move my fingers. Thank you, Jesus. I can stomp my feet. Thank you, Jesus. I can wave my arms. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and tell them, God's been good to me. I want to ask you a question. Can we still echo his praise while things are falling apart in our lives? Can we still praise him when God seems to be silent? Can we still praise him when our loved ones are in a casket? Can we still praise him when we don't get the promotion? Can we still praise him when everything's going wrong? Or is our praise to him based upon what he does for us and how we feel versus who he is? You see, it takes a real worshiper to do this because now I'm gonna distinguish worship from praise because a worshiper 
has a deeper relationship than just praise. Because no longer is my expression of adoration limited to the fruit of my lips, but it now manifests a deep understanding of who God is. Now, I'm not just telling you what I think about him. I am telling you how I know him. This expression involves not only my lips, but my soul and my spirit also. Because if I'm going to worship him, it comes out of the realm of generality and into the direction of specific. Praise is panoramic. Anybody can do that. Worship is focused. This expression is not just going to involve my lips, but my soul and my spirit. Amen. It's going to worship. It's going to become the vehicle that transports my entire spirit into the presence of the Lord. Because worship is going to another level. Even the rocks can praise him, but a rock can't worship him. Even the trees will praise him, but the trees can't worship him. Worship is built around a relationship of trust and having been proven. See, the first time we see this word worship mentioned in the Bible, it's in the text that I read to you this morning. If we view this text in the law of the first use or the first reference, we can learn a lot about worship in just this setting alone. First and foremost, Unlike praise, and I'm preaching to you on what worship requires. Unlike praise, worship requires preparation. Amen. I said worship requires preparation. In other words, you're not going to unconsciously and and inadvertently find yourself worshiping the Lord. Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham rises up early the next morning and takes all the things that he needed and begins a journey to the place that God told him to go. I can't help but imagine the mental struggle that Abraham went through when God gave him this message. I want you to take your son, your only son, up to the top of that mountain and there I want you to kill him and offer him up to sacrifice to me. I can't even imagine what Abraham was going through in that moment as he had just seen the shadowy figures of Hagar and his firstborn Ishmael as they are fading into a wilderness and a desolate place. He is now thinking to himself most certainly, why now are you wanting me to sacrifice Isaac? I don't have a backup plan. I don't have another son. This is all that I have. But yet he knew that God is faithful and that God is going to fulfill what he promised in his life. You see, when you truly begin to worship God, you're not worship him based upon the easy things you surrender. You worship him in trust knowing that even when you give him everything, even when you lay the most precious thing you have upon the altar, that God is still going to make a way where there seemeth to be no way and that God's ways are right in spite of how I feel about the situation. 
And with that kind of faith, Abraham got up early the next morning. He prepared for the trip. He cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants and they started their journey up through the mountains. Amen. God asked him to offer up his son on Mount Moriah and it would take him three days to journey to the top of that mountain. Those must have been three of the longest days of his life. Abraham had many opportunities to turn back. He had many chances to question God and disobey him. He had a long time to really think this through and contemplate what was going to happen. Yet step by step, he moved on. I believe that the Bible describes the struggle on that purpose in Hebrews 11 and 17 through 19 when it writes and says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and he uh, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure the Bible said that Abraham had enough faith that if he would have put his son on that altar that God would raise his son back up from the dead. Abraham had to have enough faith if I'm willing to give it to him he's going to be good enough to give it back. Abraham had to have enough faith if I'm willing to put it on the altar God must be able to raise it up some of you have laid things on the altar and you're still concerned have faith in God have faith in God have faith in God God had already told him through his son the nations of the earth would be blessed and he would multiply his seed. Now God is saying, take that son and kill him and offering up to me. But how can God fulfill a promise if the promise is dead? How can God fulfill a promise if the promise is dead? But verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. In other words, Abraham must have been thinking, even if Isaac is dead, God can still fulfill his promise by raising him back to life. I'm preaching to somebody this morning who feels like the promise of God in your life is dead. I've come to tell you, my God, it's the resurrection and the life. And if God promised it, it will come to pass. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. In fact, he believed in God's power to do this because he had seen God's power firsthand in the birth of Isaac. He must have been thinking, here I am, a hundred, and my wife not too far behind in age, and God still gave us this promise. If God is able to give a couple of old fogies like us a son, then certainly God's able to raise him up from the dead. And his mind, Isaac, was as good as dead already. And he had already come to grips with that. Which brings me to the next point. Worship requires separation. Abraham said unto his young men, in verse number five, 
of Genesis 22. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Separation, oh, I gotta say this, separation should not be confused with isolation. I'm gonna preach that this morning. Separation should not be confused with isolation. It is difficult, if not impossible, to worship with people or stuff that is not consecrated. He told the servants, you stay here. Me and the boy, we're going to go worship. When he gets close to the top of the mountain, he tells the servants, y'all hang out here. We're going to go worship. Because true worship is going to have to cause you to separate from those who aren't committed. There's some things you can't take to the top. It's called consecration. It's called commitment. There's some things that aren't welcome on the top of that mountain where you're going to worship. Very often we rationalize our way into disobedience. What you think about that? We rationalize how we can disobey God and still be okay. Y'all still with me this morning? Is this okay on a holiday weekend? Hope you're been at the fireworks already. We rationalize our way into disobedience. We look at the situation and after thinking it through, then we end up disobeying God because we find many reasons why we should just go ahead and do what we want to do. We give excuses. Well, God understands. Well, certainly God wants me to be happy. Biggest excuse I've seen for people failing God. Well, God wants me to be happy. Well, you know, that's not what the Bible says. He wants us to be saved is what the Bible says. God's happiness is not nearly as much his concern as our salvation. I don't think y'all are catching this yet. I, I, I know TBN don't say that, and all these slick hair, shiny shoe preachers on TV and their private jets aren't going to tell you that. They think serving God is all about your happiness. No, serving God's about your salvation. Let me tell you how much Jesus was concerned about my happiness. He said, if your eye is going to keep you out of going to heaven, pluck it out. Am I still in the book? He said, if, if your happiness is going to take both of your feet and it's going to put you in hell, you better just cut off one of your feet, cut off one of your hands, because it's better to get to heaven lame than to hell whole. We, we try to rationalize, well, God understand. God, God truly wants me to be happy, and this will make me happy. Yeah, but what's making you happy now in a few months ain't going to make you happy anymore. Amen. How many times have I seen people uh, go outside their marriage? They oh, this will make me happy. Yeah, until it don't anymore. Right? And, and then when that don't make them happy, they got to find something else to make them happy. And they bounce from happiness to happiness to happiness to happiness. And they live like perpetual seven-year-olds seven at Toys R Us. When this made me, oh, no, 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 this made me, oh, this made me. No, the Bible, Paul said, I have learned that no matter where I'm at, to be content. Contentness is different than happiness. Happiness is based on what I get. Contentment is based on who I am in him. Yeah. 
we, we start giving excuses. Matter of fact, people make whole doctrines and build entire churches around this. We give excuses why God's commandment is too difficult to follow. So we'll rationalize ways around it. Abraham reasoned not his way into disobedience, but Hebrews said, Abraham reasoned his way into obedience. He reasoned within himself, if I do this, God's able to raise him up from the dead again. After thinking it through, he ended up replying, well, if I lay my son on that altar and I sacrifice his life unto the Lord, God is able to raise him back up again. And he believed and he trusted in God completely. In fact, on his way there, his son even asked him, Daddy, where's the lamb? <laughs> Daddy, we're going to worship, but I, I, I don't see a lamb around here. You see, that lets me know, parents, you better hear me. That lets me know Isaac was not unfamiliar with true worship. See, even that little boy knew something was off with this worship service. Hey, Daddy, when we worship, ain't we supposed to have an animal? Hey, Daddy, I, I've been around true worship enough to know we're missing an ingredient around here. Our kids ought to know what true worship is. Our children need to know what true worship is. I said our children need to know what true apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled, Bible-obedient worship is. That true Bible worship goes beyond just the feeling and the emotion, but true Bible worship, it requires preparation and separation. Said, Daddy, something, something, something ain't right here. We, where, where's the lamb? And then, I, then Abraham in Genesis 22 and 8 would speak prophetically and said, God will provide himself a lamb. Hallelujah. The first messianic prophecy that is given to us specifically who and what God is going to do into the redeeming of mankind from its fallen state of sinfulness. Amen, because I'm gonna tell you something, true salvation is true worship. That's true faith speaking there. Boy, I know, I know things look out of place, but God's gonna take care of it. You ever had to be there before and say, I know, I know, I know things look bad, but God's in control. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills, but God's in control. Ain't got enough money to go to the doctor, but God's still in control. That's true obedience. That's true worship. I've told you the story before about my grandmother, uh, one of the most incredible, faithful saints of God. And she went on to be the Lord in the early 2000s. And uh, she, she'd drive us to church in that big old black Ford LTD with a little red pinstripe on it, that red cloth material thing was as big as a Titanic have you ever seen a four door Ford LTD you know what I'm talking about I mean you'd need two blocks just to turn that thing around and had a four barrel carburetor in it I mean it, it didn't get miles per gallon it got gallons per mile that's how the old boats were and uh, we'd go to church with her and we'd go to church and we'd come back home from church and we'd be on our way back from church and me and my cousin Sheldon being back seat we'd say hey, hey grandma they, they got a new little Caesar's pizza pizza was a big deal to us we're from the country 
We didn't get pizza. We got pizza once a month at school and it was that square pizza everybody complains about and we were happy to have it because we didn't get pizza. We lived in the woods. They got a new Little Caesars pizza over at Grandma. She said, nope, we're going home. What about church's chicken? There's some church. Do we go there and get some, get some fried okra? I'm, I feel the anointing right now. I'm talking about fried okra. Churches. You ain't never had church's chicken. You ain't lived yet. And she said, nope, nope, we're, we're going home. And she would, she, would, she would remark like this all the time. Nope, I just asked God to get me to church and get me back home. And she just, I'm, I'm talking, every time. There's Dairy Queen. Let's stop and get a blizzard. Nope, no, I asked God to get me to church and get me away. We didn't find out till six months later that my grandma living on a fixed income had been so broke she couldn't afford to put gas in her car until finally somebody got in the car and said, Mama, this car is on empty. And she just laughed. She said, it's been on empty for six months. <laughs> so how are you driving it? She said, I get in the car and I put my hand on it and I say, Jesus, now just get me and these babies to church and get us back home. And the car started up every time. I've seen what faith can do in worship. And when grandma got to church, she didn't sit there like a knot on a pickle. She worshiped with everything she had because it took preparation and separation. And she'd whip that head around and worship. You want to know why? Because it requires separation and preparation. Oh, somebody shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. Nobody had to tell grandma. Nobody had to tell grandma. Come on, Sister Broach, Sister Annie Faye. You need to worship the Lord. Nobody ever looked at her and said, come on, Sister Annie Faye, bro. You need to lift your hands and worship God. She was one of the first ones in and one of the last ones to leave. You want to know why? She knew what worship required. She knew it took commitment and it took dedication and it took sacrifice. My God, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of us won't worship God when the bank account don't have the right balance. Some of us get mad at God when we get bypassed on the promotion and we sit in church swole up like an old bullfrog. But not these old saints of God. They knew what worship was. They said he's good whether I'm broke or whether I'm blessed. He's good whether I'm sick or whether I'm well. I have learned that worship requires me. Say, God's going to provide that name. Look at your neighbor and say, God's going to provide. Come on, tell them God's going to provide. Stop waiting to worship once he provides. Start worshiping before he's provided. Worship him not because he has provided, but worship him because he's going to give provision. It ain't worship if you don't praise him or worship until after you're blessed. You praise him before the blessing. You praise him before it happens. Now, now, I, I'm almost done. At least I hope. We need to take some notice of something else here, okay? God is not interested in human sacrifice. God's not interested. He was not interested in the life of Isaac. He was interested in the heart of Abraham. 
Because he didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Abraham's heart. The Bible very clearly tells us that God gave Abraham instruction as a test. You see, that's the only way our faith in God can grow is when we are tested. God wanted to test what was in Abraham's heart. Y'all with me? Said, but God ain't never going to test us. You ain't never read your Bible. All that hell Job went through, that was God's fault. I get so sick of hearing people preach and talk about Job. The devil did this. The devil, the devil did that. The devil only did it because God told him to. Anyway, you were shouting a minute ago. You don't want to think about God doing that. Devil shows up. God says, where you been? Devil says, here and there, to and fro, up and down, you know. What did God then say to the devil? Come on, Bible scholars, holler it out. Have you, the devil didn't bring Job up. God brought Job up. The devil just said where he'd been, and God said, well, since you've been there, have you considered my servant Job? And, and God didn't even stop there. God gave to Job titles that were only reserved for God himself. He knew how to get under the devil's skin if he's got skin. He knew how to get the devil's goat if he's got a goat. In other words, he knew how to tick the devil off. He said, if you consider my servant Job, and the devil goes. He said that he is perfect. And upright. And there is none like him in all the earth. God took three of his own titles and laid it on Job. And if the devil had blood, it was boiling. And the devil said, matter of fact, I have. But the only reason that sucker serves you is because you got a hedge around him. But if you'll put that hedge down off of him, I'll have your boy cussing you before the sun sets. God said. And you want to know why Job went through what Job went through? It wasn't so the devil could see what Job was made of because the devil's going to find out. And it wasn't so God could see what Job was made of because God already knew what Job was made of or if he wouldn't have put him in the arena. But the reason why Job went through what Job went through is so that Job could see what Job was made of so Job could know. Am I preaching to anybody in a struggle? Am I preaching to anybody in a test? Because I've come to tell you that this morning the only reason why you're fighting hell is because God believes in you. God loves us. But he wants to know, for us to know what in us is in us is pure. You ever been through something and said, God, why? And then you look back and go, oh, that's why. I, mean, I, I would love to say that I have so much prophetic insight. 
Matter of fact, I've had some things blow up in my face a few times. And I'm getting a little upset thinking, well, you know, I'm surrounded by, I've got great men of God in my life. I've got elder prophets or some of them are apostles. And they never called me and told me that was going to happen. Why didn't they tell me? It's like, well, duh. If I knew it was going to happen, I'd have went another direction. I'd have done something. God was allowing this to happen. Not because God gets any kind of joy out of my torment. But because God has a way of letting the fire purge out of me those things that aren't like him. Isaac, take your son, your only son. The Bible said he wanted his son. Verse 2 said that it was the son whom he loved. Abraham's faith enabled him to see into the future, to see that there will come a time when God will make a way where there seems to be no way that God loves us and will act in our best interest for our own good, that God will surely provide for us what we need because it takes me to the next thing that worship requires. And worship not only requires preparation, and worship not only requires separation, but worship also requires total surrender. Abraham was about to give God everything that was important and valuable to him. The proof of his faith, the essence of his hope, and the fruit of his lifelong journey with God. He was about to give it to him. It was about to be a revelation. It is important to understand that worship is not one-dimensional, but it has many facets that encompass a number of things. There's more than one way to worship God. Because worship is a true act of surrender. Say, act of surrender. Well, okay, pastor, that's Abraham. But what about us in the New Testament? I am, see, y'all are the smartest church there is for asking questions like that. Because Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 2 talks about this. And I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed unto this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when you begin to worship God, it is a total surrender of self upon the altar. Worship includes the giving of thanks. Amen. When you worship God, it's going to cost you something. Amen. It puts yourself upon the altar. The Hebrew word. Amen. There is yada. Somebody shout yada. Amen. Congratulations. You speak Hebrew. The word is yada, which means the lifting of hands. There are seven Hebrew words that mean worship, and none of them have anything to do with being quiet or being still. So let me just, let me just put this in the eye of that whole thought. Well, I can worship God in my mind. No, you can't. I don't know who lied to you, but it wasn't the Bible. Don't worry, I'm trying to hurry. Well, I worship God, but I don't, I don't move. I'm worshiping him internally. Where's that in the Bible? You know, I asked that one time. Somebody came up to me after church, and they said, right here. See, the Bible says, the prophet said, and I looked for him in the thunder, and I looked for him in the lightning, and the earthquake, and I couldn't find him, but he was in the seals. That means God can speak to us that way. It had nothing to do with worship. Because if you worship God biblically, 
It's going to take movement and volume. It takes movement and volume. How come this church is so hyper when they, well, I've seen y'all running the aisles and dancing and jumping up and down. How come you people are so hyper? I go to other churches and they don't worship like that because they ain't worshiping. They're existing. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be biblical. Worship means to lift up the hands, to lift up the voice. The word worship there meant yada, which means the lifting of the hands. I yada him. I lift up my hands to him. Amen. I don't know what time I started, but I know I need to close. I hear people say, well, we don't all worship the Lord the same. You're exactly right. We don't worship him the same, but we've got seven ways we can worship him. And if they don't fall in line with those seven words, then baby, it ain't worship. There is the lifting of the hands. There is the Hebrew word barak, which means to dance or to shout with a loud. You need to barak him. You need to yada him. Another word, another word is halal. Everybody say halal. Halal, that means to worship him with the lifting of hallelujahs. Lifting of the hallelujahs. Man, I'll tell you, there ain't nothing worse than a dead church. I'd rather have church in a cemetery than go to a so-called Pentecostal church where nobody's dancing, clapping, shouting, lifting their hand. Matter of fact, they ought to be sued for false advertisement. Because what they advertise ain't what's happening on the inside. Say, oh, that's just your, no, it's in the Bible. Well, that's just, that's because you're a young church and you're just a vibrant church. Now, listen, hey, I've been, in, I've been in places we didn't have music. I've been in the jungles of the Amazon and in the Congo and in the Philippines where we didn't have music. We didn't have anybody that could sing. We didn't have any instruments. All we had was hands and voices. And I've seen some of the greatest moves of God in those situations where we didn't have any of this beautiful equipment. But all we had was our voices. And people began to worship him with their hands and began to worship him with their voice. I wonder what would happen in our churches across America if we were reattached attach those seven Hebrew words of worship and say if I'm really going to worship God it's going to require a sacrifice it's going to require giving of myself Abraham journeyed with an understanding and I'm hurrying to a close uh, that he was surrendering his hope, his faith and his dreams into the hands of God because uh, a sacrifice or worship rather is going to require an act of obedience. It's going to require an act of obedience. Abraham proceeded to fulfill the command of God without question or complaint. We may not be able to fully understand what God is doing in our life but we need to be fully surrendered and obedient to what God wants in my life. We used to sing the song hallelujah anyhow. You need to get a hallelujah anyhow mentality. I lost my job but hallelujah anyhow. I didn't get the raise but hallelujah anyhow. Family's not doing well but hallelujah anyhow. I don't feel good, but hallelujah anyhow. I need a new car, but hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah. 
God is not a respecter of persons. You listen to me. God is not a respecter of persons, but honey, he is a respecter of faith. Because I've seen some people praise God in emotion but have no faith and God not do anything but see people worship with faith and God move heaven and earth to get involved in their situation. Man, hallelujah. It requires obedience. It requires, somebody say a sacrifice. Sacrifice is the key component to see the consummation of worship in your life. Worship without sacrifice is not worship. Let me say that again. Now, last Sunday, my God, we had, what a mighty move of the Holy Ghost we had last Sunday. I don't know about you, but I'm still unapologetically apostolic. <clears throat> worship without sacrifice is not worship. We see it in David when his son died. He went to the temple to worship. There is something about worship that recalibrates the soul back to God. But worship is not the natural instinct of the depressed person. You don't naturally want to praise God when all hell is breaking loose. You naturally want to find a pity party and hand out balloons. But a worshiper says, when all hell's coming against me. I don't got to feel like it. I, 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 I don't got to have everything going right in my life. Matter of fact, everything could be going wrong. But when it is time to worship. Let me close with this. There are three necessary ingredients for worship. In this journey, Abraham took three things with him to the top of the mountain to make that sacrifice, to achieve, to, to achieve true worship, you have to be willing to prepare and bring with you the three ingredients that it takes. You ready? Wood, fire, and a knife. You see, wood is something that's already dead. Something that easily burns. You know anything about building fires, you don't go get fresh cut wood to burn. You don't get a whole lot of smoke if you get anything. But it's something that, easy, something that can be consumed. Too many times we put things on the altar, we're not willing to let God consume. These are the issues, the questions, things that are already dead. Everyone has some wood they can bring to the Lord. If you're living for God to any degree, you can gather enough wood to start a fire. Even the widow woman, when the prophet showed up, said, bake me a cake, and that woman said, ah. Well, we only got enough for us. You remember what she said? She said, I I've got two sticks. I'm going to make a fire. Now listen, I'm not a, a woodsman, but I grew up in the woods, and I, I, I know enough to know you ain't going to build a, pretty, a good fire with two sticks. Her expectation was already low. See, some of you are trying to give God two-stick worship. If you give him two-stick worship, you'll get two-stick revival, two-stick blessing.
But the moment you're willing to sacrifice and gather. Second thing was fire. This probably comes as no surprise to you, but if it does, please don't faint to this revelation. Fire's hot. It's something that's not only hot, but it's something that's bright. It means it's light. It's a thing that will consume the dead and the living in it. Fire changes the molecular structure of anything it comes in contact with and will reduce it to its basic particle parts. You burn anything, it'll turn it back to carbon, to its most basic form. You know what we need to do? We need to let the fire of the Holy Ghost burn us back to the basics of falling in love with Jesus all over again. You take the wood you have and you put the fire to it and you have created an atmosphere to deal with those things which are still alive. And finally, and probably the most difficult thing is he brought a knife. This is where worship comes in. You see, anybody can build a fire without a sacrifice. Anybody can build a fire. You can build a fire to cook on. You can build a fire to get warm. You can build a fire to keep the predators away. But when we sacrifice, we put on the altar everything that we have. Amen. And to burn something that's living, you got to have a hot fire. And the Bible said we are to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. You're not going to offer yourself a living sacrifice with two sticks or with just a little bundle of wood but if God is ever going to be able to consume the sacrifice of me and the sacrifice of self amen I need the fire of the Holy Ghost to burn but I also need a knife in my hand because worship without sacrifice is nothing more than a cookout when we sacrifice we put on the altar everything and this is where God begins to interact with our life because true worship brings a cutting I said true worship brings a cutting and it's not a cutting that's meant to hurt it's a cutting that's meant to purify when you get the dead in order you can get the fire burning and then it's time to use the knife on the things that are still alive it's in this place of worship where God goes from promises to swearing. When you're willing to enter the presence of God with more than just praise. When you are willing to enter the presence of God with more than just a song. When you are willing to go beyond the protocol. When you are willing to step beyond the veil of what you have always been and what you have always done. You will see the unimaginable blessing of God in your life. When you are willing to go further and dig deeper and offer more than anyone else that you know. Because worship is the ultimate privilege of humanity and it is only reserved for those who have been redeemed by the hand of the Lord and it is true worship
worship that Jesus said the Father is seeking such to worship him in spirit and in truth. I've come to tell you, you got a song nobody else can sing. You got a testimony nobody else can give. You got a dance that nobody else can do. You've got a light that nobody else can shine. And it only shines within our act of worship. Just stand with me today. Stand with me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Feel the Spirit of God moving through here because He's looking for a true worshiper. Are you a true worshiper? Are you a true worshiper? Because, like the woman with the alabaster box of perfume, if you are a true worshiper, she knew that her deliverance from demons, the only purging of the sin in her life was going to come when she broke the most precious thing in her life and was willing to pour it out listen to me worship is not an event worship is an encounter there are folks that come to an event but they never have an encounter you ladies went to a concert the other night you went to an event but after the concert was over you met the singers see that was an encounter see a lot of people come to church and it's just a concert for them it's just an event they never they never really encounter the one for whom their heart and their soul longeth to have communion with I'm not here because it's time to have church I'm here because I've come to worship him and I know that he is seeking it. And in the beauty of this event called worship, God is inviting those who have prepared themselves, separated themselves, dedicated themselves to go into that deeper place of worship. You notice, God never asked anybody else to do what he asked Abraham did you notice that? Of what other man in the Bible did he say, go kill your son for me? None. Not one. It was the greatest test of obedience. And it was the greatest sign of loyalty. As a matter of fact, God used that as a typology for how he would save mankind. You see, God didn't take a play from Abraham's playbook. God let Abraham live out in part what he was going to do to redeem mankind. No wonder Jesus said, Elder Henderson in John 4, the Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. What did she just say? Our father Abraham gave us this. Our father Jacob, our father Isaac gave us this. Jesus said, I'm glad I know you. I'm, I'm glad to know you know where, where this came from. But see, from that day, from Moriah being named Jaira, the Father's been seeking somebody to worship him in that same way. And the Bible said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, 
God didn't withhold his son. And in the truest act of devotion, Jesus laid down his life for each one of us and rose again on the third day. Are you hearing me? It was a three-day journey from the valley to the top of the mountain to sacrifice. It was a three-day journey from the cross to the resurrection. Because what real worship requires is somebody who is saying, there is nothing that I will withhold from you. I will give you all that I am. All that you ask of me, I'm going to give it to you. I wonder if there's anybody this morning who would just lift their hands right now. Because we're not just going to say, let's worship the Lord, and then everybody just start screaming and shouting and dancing. We're going to put some thought into this this morning. Because I believe God wants to some of you to step into a true encounter of worship this morning to take us from the realm of praise that is just just only in the realm of emotion and step into the dimension of worship where it becomes relational i would that you lift your hands that, that the lifting of the hands the lifting of the hands that's what we do it's the yada it's the sign of surrender it's the sign of i yield and i give up so when you lift your hands you're just saying lord i give up that's i just whatever i have it's yours i surrender anything that i'm any sin i have in my life any shame or pain any sickness any depression oppression any stress any bitterness hatred anger anything that i have in me lord i'm i'm yadaing right now i'm lifting my hands in total surrender to you and I say God take my life take me God I offer myself to you upon the sacrificial altar of worship because before I leave this place I want to encounter the miraculous that is only reserved for those who step into the dimension of a true worshiper and God I know that you're moving through the earth right now and you're seeking such to worship you in spirit and in truth so here I am this morning God with all that I am and everything I hope to be and I yada myself I surrender myself to you I put every promise every dream every hope every wish every desire every passion and I put it up on the altar of worship Lord and I put it in your hands and I pray that prayer nevertheless not my will but thy will be done because today I want to encounter the fire of your spirit I want to encounter you today in a dimension that I've yet to experience because I know what worship requires is more than just attendance it's more than just showing up but it's a depth where healing can flow from the throne of God where blessings can flow from the heavenly realm in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus come on that's it just surrender before we open this altar just surrender yourself to him just surrender you gotta start surrendering self right now Lord there's nothing I'm not willing to do I put it on the altar my flesh may not want to clap my flesh may not want to sing my flesh may not want to dance but I'm putting that on the altar as a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto you hallelujah hallelujah 
That's it. That's it. That's it. Just surrender it to Him. Just surrender it to Him. Lord, I know I've asked you before, but now I'm surrendering. Lord, I've told you what I want you to do, but now I'm surrendering that situation. Lord, I know I've given you directions, but now I'm going to back up and I'm going to give you a surrender for you to do what you want to do. I wonder if there's anybody that's, that wants to go a little further in worship. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus name.